Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. This podcast seeks to give a voice to real people around the world who are attempting to stay free, stay sovereign, and stay sane in a world which is changing faster than ever. In this episode, I talk with JC, a ballroom dancer and early member of the anti-lockdown movement. JC grew up in a religious community, and having witnessed at an early age the irrational nature of human psychology, he offers his unique insights into the post-COVID world, how humans have become gripped by fear, and how to free the mind and the soul. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and if you have any feedback or suggestions for interesting guests, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. A link is in the show notes. On to the episode. JC, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No worries at all. It's really good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really good to chat after kind of um, being in the same Twitter circles uh, for quite a long time. I think that we probably go back at least a year in the Twitter sphere, uh, but we've never yeah. actually kind of talked like this. So, you know, it's great to be having this conversation. Um, I don't know too much about you and the audience might not as well. So um, do you want to just give a brief introduction about yourself? Yeah, so I am from uh, York, North Yorkshire. Um, I am a ballroom dancer by trade. Um, I also work at a gym, so I do a bit of both, which uh, we'll probably get onto this later, but I was quite grateful for with everything that's happened this last 20 months, having like a stable income from that. Um, So yeah, so um, one of the reasons why I joined Twitter actually last year, uh, I've always been very open to things like psychology and, and many different perspectives and points of views. Um, and again, I'll, I'll discuss that more with you later. But um, for me, it was one of those things, you know, days being very long and lots going on um, to be able to engage with lots of other thought processes. Um, it's just something that stimulates me generally. Um, I, I would say I've got quite a creative mind coming from like the dance background and things like that. Uh, so with regards to um, Twitter, I would say that that really does stir all of those creative thoughts just like it does with my dancing and things like that which is one of the reasons why I plugged into Twitter last year. Did you say that you own a gym? I know I just work for a gym uh, it's just a local gym it was actually a I used to be employed by a company. Um, it was actually a, a charity that it's my dad's church, which again, I'll talk about later on, um, that I was employed by. And basically I ran the dance school as part of the organization, um, sort of professionally, um, and then helped them out sort of when I was free to do that. Um, but then that kind of went a different way. Obviously things changed with that. Uh, financially things weren't quite the same as they used to be. So um, I decided to go self-employed. Um, so I got a job at a gym working there, which is a very different role, which is quite nice actually, because it's very different to what I do when I'm teaching. Um, and yeah, I'm now self-employed, but I'm still able to work from the same venue, uh, which is great because I still get to be involved with a lot of the projects that my mum and dad do um, do there at the church, which is really, really, really good. Okay, so I imagine doing that kind of work that you were pretty affected by the lockdowns, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, um, I've never really been keen on um, online things with regards to teaching and dance. Uh, I know that it's massive in the respects of the technology, things like Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Um, People have managed to really plug into that. I've, I've been very successful, you know, everything is very much, they make a career of being online. Um, there's always been something about me that is, 
that thrives on human interaction, that thrives on somebody walking into the studio and not only teaching them, but knowing them as an individual, knowing them as a person. Um, the whole concept of, for me, each person that I teach, I'm gauging who they are as an individual, um, kind of how they learn, how they perceive things, how they, um, how they move their body, things like that. So I think for the lockdowns, uh, when then it was potentially suggested that I would have to do things like Zoom classes and things like that, it was just completely alien to me. And yeah, people are doing it all over the world. You know, I, I go on YouTube regularly with people coaching and doing kind of like uh, 10 minute uh, technique videos or things like that. And just for me, it was not something I could get my head around at all. Uh, and of course, the fact that I was being told that I couldn't go to the studio was even more of a, was even more of a problem for me. So yeah, it was hard. So was that the kind of, was that the reason that you, um, you know, kind of started on the anti-lockdown journey or was there something else that set you off? Was that a kind of like a, a philosophical belief you already had? Like what's your origin story there? Yeah, interesting. So um, no, it wasn't. I would say that um, I've always been, um, maybe not always, I would say I've always been part of a family that's been very questioning and very open to um, debate, particularly over the last 17 years. And I'll just share a little bit of my story to how I came to, to where I am today. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, I hate using the word church because again, what that represents to me and to everybody else will have a particular, a particular thing. Um, I was part of a Pentecostal church since I was a young boy, uh, really raised in the church. Um, uh, my mum and dad, it was my granddad's before, then my dad took over. Um, we were always a very modern, um, a very kind of like uh, forward thinking community, but still kind of held fast very much to the narrative of, you know, kind of you're either bad or good if you don't follow the, the dogma that we're telling you you should follow, you know, kind of like hell, heaven, all of this kind of your typical kind of story. Um, and then 17 years ago, a particular incident happened in our family. Um, I'm allowed to swear. Yeah, sure. The, the shit hit the fan big time. Um, you could say it was one of the big no-nos that was committed. Um, and we had quite a big walkout from the community. Um, and really, I would say it was from that day on, um, we could have gone one of two ways. We could have either fallen more into the dogma and become even more kind of overly religious, but instead it actually swung us the other way to ask major questions of everything that we were told was supposed to be the reality of this faith that we had, which was love, kindness, forgiveness, turning the other cheek, acceptance, um, walking the journey with people, you know, uh, taking the coat off your back and giving it to your neighbor, all of this kind of stuff just didn't happen at all. Um, and the people that we needed just were not there. Um, so basically the establishment that we'd given our lives to that told us that somehow it would all be okay, it ended up just crumbling around our ears really. Um, and we spent 17 years um, walking this process of in a way, slowly realizing so much historically of what you're told to be true. It isn't because it's necessarily true. It's just because your dad tells you it's true and their dad told them it's true and they told them it was true. And ultimately this narrative that you give your life for 
um, has so many holes um, and so many problems within it that unless sometimes something like that happens, it never kind of pushes you to really um, see whether what you said you believe is what you believe, if that makes sense. Um, and from that point, really, um, we realised that uh, we're not, it just didn't work for us anymore. And um, it's interesting because in questioning that narrative, um, everything now from that moment on, I, I don't hold too tight. It's like I say... I've been there before. Um, I believed everything I was told. Um, it didn't work for me. Um, and now I kind of feel, particularly with this whole COVID thing, I mean, I was already kind of looking into things like, you know, the Vatican and Agenda 2030 and, you know, all that kind of stuff that came up. Um, but really that's why now I would say I'm so open to the understanding um, of never being closed-minded with things because that's when ultimately you end up being connected to something that really doesn't bring any liberation or any life in a way. Yeah, okay. So um, it's interesting that you say that you were kind of in a family that was always questioning things because I find that that's actually a relatively common theme amongst people who kind of are awake to what's going on. They seem to have... Um, that seems to have been nurtured at least some level of kind of questioning things as a child, yeah. which definitely was, th was the case as well. Um, for myself, like, um, within my family, like, you know, we were always kind of raised to be very critical and questioning of everything that was going on and to kind of develop a personal opinion that wasn't just, you know, believing whatever the, the, the mainstream opinion was or whatever the kind of dogma of the day was. So, yeah. Yeah. So when it com came to the the lockdowns uh, specifically and the kind of whole coronavirus thing, um, I imagine that even pre-lockdown uh, in the UK, you were already kind of smelling the bullshit, right? Yeah, 100%. So um, I remember very clearly, I still have the messages on my phone. Um, I was actually working a shift at the gym on the day that the first lockdown was announced. I think it was the Friday and I think the lockdown was going to start on the Monday. This was the first one. And I remember being still in the reception area because everyone was in the cafe lounge looking at this TV screen, you know, kind of shocked at what we were hearing, really. Um, and I remember WhatsApping my mum, saying to her, um, there's something not right here. There's something very wrong. Um, and she said, I know, babe, that was her reply. Um, she went, it seems like there's some sort of... Um, reset going on and at that point we didn't we hadn't heard the term the great reset right so that wasn't something that we'd heard um she just again knew that there was just something very very fishy going on and again i don't know what it i can't explain it. i don't know whether you get this but it's like um you it's like this internal kind of call it a hunch or something that just does not sit right it's like it's like almost like a sixth sense. It's just nothing that, and I heard all this kind of talking around me, people, you know, like, oh, you know, this virus, we're going to lock down. I'm just stood there thinking this, this, none of this just adds up. And this was before, even when I started seeing the footage coming out of China, right? It's like, I'm thinking, I'm just not, I'm just not buying it. And I, again, I didn't really know why I wasn't buying it. It was just this, this overwhelming conviction that it wasn't what it appeared to be. Interesting, because my my story kind of coming into this is very different. I actually was a real strong believer 
whilst everyone else. Um, Interesting. Well, before people were really talking about it, um, you know, it, it's kind of strange because my first kind of exposure to it was in the Bitcoin community. And a lot of the Bitcoiners were kind of talking about it very early on. We're talking kind of, you know, in like January and early February when it wasn't really mainstream conversation. You know, it was a bit here and there in the news. It was a kind of side news story. Um, but they were saying, you know, this is going to be huge. You need to start buying supplies. You need to get ready because, you know, shit's going to hit the fan and, you know, we're going to have to... Um, stay separate from each other for like six months and all this kind of stuff and loads of people are going to die there's going to be bodies on the streets and yeah. um you know i kind of believed a lot of that but then um later down the line um you know it was almost like i was coming out of that and a lot of the bitcoiners were, were the same you know a lot of these, a lot of people who were kind of in that community started saying actually you know um it's not the case you know the new the data's coming in and it, it looks like it's not that um you know, that the virus is, is not that deadly, etc. And it's almost like just as the Bitcoin community or some people within it, I'm not speaking for everyone, but but some pretty, um, you know, vocal people within it started to say, oh, well, you know, actually this thing isn't so um, something we have to worry about too much. And then that's when the rest of the world kind of, so it's like it'll switch places. And then the rest of the world started kind of coming to that point of being terrified to the level that you know, a lot of the Bitcoiners have already been through that for like two, three months and then gone, oh, actually, we don't have that much to worry about. And then suddenly the rest of the world went into it. And yeah. now yeah. gradually people are kind of trickling over back to kind of a point of reality, I think. And this is something I do want to get into with you. Um, but it's kind of taken a long time. I mean, I think it is happening, but it's almost like um, certainly for my journey, it was initially kind of fear. Yeah. And then I was yeah. coming out of that fear just as everyone else was entering it. And then everyone else stayed in it for, you know, like, well, right up until now for a lot of people, but um, yeah, it, obviously there are some positive signs. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that. Yeah, I would. Um, I think if, if I could just go back a little bit to interesting, you should say that about the fear aspect, because um, I think maybe that's one thing that stood out to me in that the parallels of what was being said um, on mainstream media and, you know, what the politicians and the establishment were telling us um, the parallels with what I'd understood of being brought up within the church community, right? It was like everything just matched. It was the same sound. It was the same language. So like, for example, we will tell you what you need to do to stay safe. If you obey us, you will be rewarded as like the good citizen, right? Um, and it was that whole thing that brought back those feelings of when I'd been in that before of you told something, you do it and you live as the, you know, the holy child that you're told to be. And yet it's still never enough. It never ends up how they say it's going to end up. You always feel guilty. You always feel ashamed. There's always this kind of extra line that you have to achieve. And it's interesting because people often say to me, you know, like you said earlier, how did you know? Um, I think that throughout history, whether it be, um, you know, uh, religious institutions, right, um, whether it be political institutions, whether it be corporate institutions, they actually all fundamentally operate with the same premise. And that is scare people, make them afraid, and ultimately through fear, they feel that they need us to offer them a solution to their anxiety, if that makes sense. 
Um, so for me, when I saw all this fear being pumped out, I thought, hang on a second, what happened to the British mentality of keep calm and carry on? Remember that from the, from the war, right? So people would be going to school still in the Blitz. And I'm thinking like, uh, why all of a sudden for this virus with a 99.97 survival rate, literally is everyone going to shit about this? It makes no sense whatsoever. But then when you realize that the whole point is this foundation of fear, and then when you realize how fear ultimately serves their goal of more control and things like that, which is what happened to me when I was younger, you know, I was never really free within the church community. I thought I was, but I wasn't really. Um, the parallels to me were just absolutely uncanny, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that this has morphed into a religion of its own. I mean, it's right. I, some 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 days I, I would say it's a religion and some days I would say it's a cult. I kind of fluctuate on a day to day basis. But exactly right. and, yeah. and to be honest, I think there's a lot of crossover between the two anyway. So, you know, um, yeah. maybe maybe both can be can be true at the same time. But it certainly 100%. seems to me that the the, re, the religious parallels just keep on coming. You know, I mean, it was always going to be that the vaccine was going to be like, the kind of the baptism, you know, the baptism is taking right. the, taking the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, that that's just one of of many. You know, you've got the, the the kind of dress with the mask, and you've got the kind of even the fact that the government people are called, are called like sage. You know, that sage. It's like sounds like some kind of religious um, kind of elders. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, there's just so many kind of parallels to religion, and it seems to me that, uh, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this whether in the absence of religion, as we've kind of got now, uh, generally speaking, an absence of religion in the in the Western, especially in the yeah. UK, uh, more so even than, than other kind of English-speaking countries like, you know, um, Australia and America, etc. It seems like we were kind of primed to kind of jump on the bandwagon. It's almost like there was this kind of God-shaped hole, which we were all ready to fill, you know, right. as soon as it came right. around, it's like, that's our religion now. The, the, the COVID religion is our thing. You've just, you've hit it on the head. There because uh, for me, again, I've heard actually atheists say this, right? I was just watching a program the other day, and unfortunately, I can't remember his name. Um, but he was talking about how he was an atheist, right? But he still believes there's a God shaped hole. Now, I just thought to me that was fantastic because um, I often say that I'm an atheist who believes in God, right? As in, I don't believe in the God that's being presented to us by the um, religious institutions. I believe that we are divine beings, uh, beings of light, whatever you want to call it. All of us are so unique and rare. Um, and I think what's happened, as you say, um, humans, uh, they've lost that sense of, um, of divinity in a way, you know, it's, it's, they've become so materialistic so finite in our way of thinking. A lot of that, like you rightly said, is very much a Western, a Western kind of modern world thinking. And I think if you look at the reason why most people connected to the church community, it's because it was because they felt alone, they felt guilty, they felt ashamed, they felt in lack. There was something missing from their lives, right? You know, the day-to-day -day, um, grind of life just wasn't doing it for them anymore. Um, and I think, like you say, I think as we've, we've broken away from, um, from that spiritual kind of anchor, um, people are looking desperately for that collectivism. So 
at this point, we would get to why does BLM exist, right? Why does the vegan movement exist? Why does feminism exist? Why does, you know, LGBTQ, right? They are all models that allow collectivism, which in a way, um, people are desperately looking for a collective ideology to give them security rather than understanding their individual sovereignty. Does that make sense? So that sense of the power of the individual and the individual's ability to form their own identity and to think. Um, we're being told all the time that, no, this is the narrative. This is the dogma. If you join our dogma, you will have a reason, um, you know, some sort of kind of goal um, as part of the collective. Um, and I think that that's a very dangerous place. I know Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this. Um, you know, it should be first the individual, then the collective. Uh, but for some reason, I'm quite shocked it's gone this way, right? Because I thought it would have gone the other way, that as we push more into this very much um, egotistical society where everything's about self, right, that people would be far more independent and wouldn't swing to the collective. But I've actually been proved wrong with that. I don't know whether you've seen that. Yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, we have seen with um, kind of with, with things that have gone by, you know, for instance, like Maoism is, is a great example and, and things that have happened in kind of like Bolshevism. They normally yeah. try to kind of um, get rid of the existing paradigm so they can kind of slip into that gap. You know, like the Chinese, they hate religion. And to, to this day, the Chinese are completely, you know, against yeah. all forms of religion. I would say that some of these things, they're not necessarily all all harmless, uh, sorry, all harmful, right? I mean, there there are... There are forms of collectivism which are not causing um, any harm to anyone because they're not taking anyone else's rights away, right? So, for instance, because yeah. I have to pick you up on this because because I am a vegan, I wouldn't put vegan in those same categories necessarily, or, or I definitely okay. wouldn't. But I wouldn't also put even, for instance, as long as you're not trying to take the, the rights away of someone else. Like I think that it's a it's a healthy form of collectivism as long as your uh, your attitude. And your kind of um, what you're doing with your your own life is not actually removing or trying to take the, the way away the rights of others. The problem is when you're trying to kind of like manufacture hatred towards others, right? So, for instance, with um, you know like Nazism, obviously there is a kind of there's a target of that, there's a target of that hate with kind of um, you know uh, like in um, Stalinist Russia and stuff. There's all you know there's even even just the greedy capitalist being a target of hate, right? And uh, kind of kind of BLM, for instance, you know, it, some some of it some of it might be uh, might be harmless, but it does seem to have kind of taken on this kind of you know you have to hate anyone who's not repenting for their whiteness or whatever, or or who isn't kind of signalling for your cause. It's like it's it's yeah. just like just leave people alone. And my attitude with with any form of collectivism um, is. You know, because I was talking um, to Seba Bekasis about collectivism. I don't know if you if you know him, but like he he's kind of like pro collectivism as well, but like but like pro healthy forms of collectivism, like community yeah. and and localism, etc. Um, you know, but 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 I would completely agree with you. There are toxic forms of collectivism, yeah. and it seems like the one that we're in now is a kind of 
blind worship of government like government is going to just just supply you know yeah. government's going to do everything for us and we need to just do whatever and if someone isn't going with what the government want and we've got to take their rights away you know the the people who won't take the vaccine who won't wear the mask who won't do xyz who won't you know lock down their businesses it's like a kind of a hatred of a group and that for me is, yeah. is where the, the ultimate problem lies now that's interesting you should say that so if i was to reverse i think i'm glad you raised that point um because collectivism is an interesting word, I think, often. Um, let me put it this way. So whenever the collective is based on a fundamental ideology, right, by which the dogma is set and therefore we have a concept, what's called the othering. So basically it's us versus them. We are here, they are there. We are on the right side, they are on the wrong side, etc., etc. Um, the collectivism isn't collective to create a community of oneness for those involved, right? It becomes an ideology that ultimately serves to other those who aren't, if that makes sense. So, for example, um, I'm still part of my dad's church. We are a collective right? We all believe and view things differently, which is quite rare generally for a church community because generally you would have a particular creed you had to follow. Um, I would say we have a collective, um, uh, what's the word, focus of that we are all uh, spiritual divine beings that we come together and ultimately we want to create an environment where many different thoughts and views can be shared really to increase the awareness and openness of people um, and really bring people to more of a, um, what's the words, like more of an awakening within themselves, right? Uh, but as you said, I think the problem is when something becomes so fundamental that basically if you sway from that um, or you don't conform to that or ask questions that somehow you are then the pariah, so to speak, or you are the the um the leper right which is what we're seeing now with yeah. this this COVID situation um you know that's when to me um collectivism slips into an arena where i don't know if you've heard this before there's a concept called the common enemy concept where most fundamental ideologies have to have an enemy right. so it goes from being so for example like let's just take you as as a vegan right um, rather than it's celebrating and, and you've been so settled and happy with the, the choice that you've made in your life and therefore you tell me about that and inspire me with your life that I maybe think, oh, actually, I'm so inspired by the way he's living. I would quite like to maybe try some of those things, right? Um, yeah. I think and actually, actually on, that, on, that, on that point, because I, you know, I totally agree with what, you, what you're saying here and there is a kind of common thing in the vegan community which really pisses me off where people you know rather than doing exactly what you say it's almost like you know they go around saying you know take that fur coat off i'm going to do that you know like throwing blood at you know fake blood at people yeah, yeah. some craziness it, it it does have a cultish kind of element and actually some of the loudest voices unfortunately are on the more cultish side of it like i hate for instance like like peter like you know that as a as an organization i hate them i think they're they're you know generally speaking um, are a kind of pretty crazy organization and very like quite on the culty side whereas you know my attitude and this is where I would make that distinction on different types of collectivism is yeah. does your form of collectivism afford everyone the exact same rights okay so like my you know like that's the difference and that's why you know someone for instance who is BLM okay like 
I, I believe Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I yeah. assume that most people do. And if that's your belief, that's fine. I, I want black people to have exactly the same rights as I do. I don't want them to have yeah. extra rights though, right? I don't, and I don't want to go and have to apologize for being white when I haven't done right. you know, anything other than been born a certain skin color, right? Because I'm not going to be racist towards someone else, but I also don't want them to be racist against me. So the problem in that movement is when people say, no, you've got to repent for this, or, you know, we're going to kind of give special privileges to these people because they're a certain race, because that's racism. And, you know, my view is that racism is wrong in all directions, right? So that would be probably the the, the distinction for me is, is everyone afforded the same rights within this form of collectivism? And if it is, generally speaking, it's healthy, uh, which kind of brings us on to the kind of um, the vaccine stuff, which is that, yeah. you know, the unvaccinated yes. now are the public enemy number one, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's really, I mean, like I say, a common enemy. They have found their group. They have now othered the unvaccinated because of what they've been told is the the narrative that is the truth. Um, and um, I did actually a talk um, the other week um, about the concept of why people get this way. Um, and they say that it's about 30% who are immensely brainwashed of the, of the population uh, with all this. Um, and it's a concept, it's a podcast I watched, it's a, it's a concept called mass formation. And basically what happens is the reason why they will go to these lengths is because this particular group of people were so anxious that the government said, this is the object of your anxiety, right? This is the solution to your anxiety and therefore we will make it right for you. So what do people do in this heightened sense of fear? They think I'm feeling anxious right now. They're telling me if I follow what they say, they will make it better. Um, so they join this group. Um, now the problem with that is over time, they become more and more and more brainwashed because of more and more fear. We know this, this is what propaganda does, right? Um, to the point where crazy atrocities can be committed, right? So you just look at Nazi Germany, things like you know Russia and things like that. Um, and I don't know whether you've ever read stories before about um, how, um, you know, things like the witch hunt in, uh, in Switzerland, right? I didn't realise this, but basically, you know, it, it was a, a period of time where there was famine, there was poverty, you know, all this stuff going on. Um, and the government basically decided, how do we alleviate the anxiety of the people? We'll just tell them that it's because of witches, right? So at one point in Switzerland, basically there was hardly any women because they were going around killing women because the government had said the object of your anxiety is women who are witches. So without even thinking that that's the most irrational thing that anybody could ever said, what did they do? They went around killing women and eventually there was hardly any women left in Switzerland, right? So I look at that and I, I never even read that before. I didn't even know that was the case. So then I'm thinking we're just seeing the same process happen again where... Um, what I would say, and I don't know whether you agree with this, a bit like what you said earlier on, people think their anxiety is COVID. People think their anxiety is the unvaccinated, right? They're being told that that's what their anxiety is. If we get rid of X, you will be fine and you will be healthy, you will be well. My main struggle with that is, and I've seen this actually for the last few years, people are already anxious 
if you get what I'm saying. We live in a very anxious society. More antidepressants now are given out than ever before, right? People um, struggle with our identity. They struggle with worth. Um, you know, people, you know, I, even like as young as, you know, six and seven, I have kids that I teach who, you know, the parent says, oh, he's struggling with his anxiety today. And you think it wasn't even a concept, right, that I understood when I was a child. Um, so generally there has been the shift that people are anxious but rather than really addressing the root issue of what is going on, and this comes back to what you were saying, this kind of God-shaped toll in people's lives, what's happening is institutions like um, big corporate medical institutions and governments all over the world are playing on the fact that people are more anxious than ever, right? And desperately looking for something to pin that anxiety on. I don't know whether that, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. It definitely seems that um, that's exactly what's happened. And people are very ready and willing to just accept whichever enemy is being pointed at by the government. I mean, it, it's crazy that this has been able to happen because, you know, in the, in the past, it's like, oh, OK, look at those terrorists over there. Look at these bad people here. Um, but now the kind of crosshairs have turned on the un, the unvaccinated, you know, like uh, uh, as this group, I hate that term, but, you know, I, I'm kind of using their language here. Um, and this is just people's own friends and own families. And I'd always wondered, well, how have these atrocities that we've seen in the past, how yeah. did they come to pass? You know, like we learn about them in school and you're just like, God, that is just, a how did that ever happen? How could society yeah. ever have allowed this to happen? And yeah. now um, the scary thing is I've had that question answered. You know, I've completely had that question answered. I have no, there's no doubt in my mind now. And I thought I would live my entire life wondering. I thought I would live my entire life looking at things like 1930s, 1940s Germany and thinking, wow, that's just a mystery to me. How did that ever happen? I no longer will go to my grave with that uh, mystery in my mind. That's been completely answered for me. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think I would say maybe where we are slightly different is that I always, in the back of my mind, knew how it had happened in the respects of, again, going back to what we'd said earlier, I saw what the collective othering did within the context of the church, right? So they were the sinner, you know, thank you God that I'm not like him over there kind of thing. You know, very subtle finger pointing. Um, it was always about addressing the other and those who were, you know, not keeping the commandments or this, that and the other. Um, and in a way, I realised that the people as a group joined in believing that and therefore would all together um, other somebody else. So when we look at Nazi Germany, for example, um, the government, in a way, all they had to do was spread seeds of fear and tell them what the narrative was. Um, and subtly over time, I do think at this point, I've got to say, it has to be a repetitive message. I don't think... If they had just said, we're locking down, it's dangerous, and that was it, and nothing was ever on TV again, and there was never any repetition of these, you know, new normal, stay home, save granny, you're going to kill granny, all of this sort of stuff, right? I don't think it would have ever got this far, but if you think about it, most religions and most cults, right, they're going into a room two, three, four times a week, and they are being repetitively spoken the same things over and over again of what the creed is. And ultimately over time, 
the atrocity, like you say, the atrocities that can be committed is just absolutely remarkable, which does concern me where we are now, I have to be honest. Uh, I go through these days where I feel worried, right? And at the same time, not worried. It's like this kind of paradox of emotion that I feel. I don't know whether you get this at all. On one side, I kind of feel liberated and excited because I just think, are we about to witness the biggest awakening of all time or um, is, are we literally doomed? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I know that sounds really negative, but... Uh, yeah, I feel exactly the same way, yeah. I, uh, I also go through those fluctuations because the way that I see it, you know, we've come so far. We've already... We've, it's almost like we've already reached this fork in the road and I don't know which fork we're on. It's like some days I'm like, okay, we're on the fork to the camps. And some days I'm like, no, we're actually on the fork to an awakening here. And, yeah. um, you know, one is obviously incredibly, you know, dangerous. And it's almost like we're kind of oscillating between these two two um, places. Like I'm never quite sure where we are. But I think I am more positive recently. I think that the government has proven itself to be illegitimate. And the way I see it, you know, whatever happens now, um, governments are good. It's inescapable now for governments to be kind of revealed for what they really are, you know, because right. they've come so far with this that they can't back down now. Um, but no. also if they continue, um, there's so many people holding the line that they're going to have to do something incredibly historically um, of, of huge historical magnitude um, to oh, be yeah. able to, you know, because what are they going to do? What are they going to do with uh, all of the people who aren't going to get this vaccine? Like, I you know essentially it's like a game of chicken and we're not moving so governments are going to have to show their real true ugly nature so yeah i think either way there's going to be fireworks it's just that obviously i hope that there's fireworks without an atrocity happening um unfortunately when you look back through history we've never before kind of reeled back from this we've never you know I, i can't think of uh, maybe it's happened it's just that you don't hear about it so there's a bit of a selection bias there but i can't think of a historical example where you're kind of staring down the bullet of the gun of a government and that they've come this far and um and that it's kind of been walked back so but hopefully this will be the first time you know because um i do think there's an awakening going on um so maybe this maybe this will be it maybe this will be the, the time when um you know something amazing happens and all these kind of um criminals are revealed for what they are and we have you know, uh, Nuremberg too. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it's interesting because when we were talking, then I was thinking uh, uh, th- there's a concept that my dad talks about. He-, he says, you know, we're never going back to the way it was. Never. I will never, ever go back to the way it was. Once you come this far and entered this kind of place of true liberation and true freedom and true community, um, you don't want to go back to that way of thinking because actually all it did was brought this overarching sense of shame and guilt and and, and unease. Um, Now, what you said there was interesting because I do think um, as far as this has come now, I don't think so much of it can be reversed because it has, you know, they talk about they've basically shown their hand, right? And they've shown their full cards of what it is really they're aiming to achieve, which is why I still find it fascinating that, you know, they're basically telling us what they're doing um, and people are just willingly complying. They're not even really having to um, hide it anymore. Um, But I think when you talk about an awakening, uh, the hard part of that for me is, um, so I watched my dad's church go from about 400 people to about 50 people in 17 years. It didn't get bigger, right? Um, and a lot of that was to do with the fact that p- 
people actually prefer certainty and security over freedom, right? Um, one of my favorite um, uh, writers is Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, um, and um, he talks about how anxiety is the dizziness of freedom, right? The idea that freedom actually makes people dizzy because they it's almost like they don't trust to be able to make decisions for themselves or within their community. So my concern is that, yes, I believe that we need to be liberated from this. And yes, we are holding the line. And I want to be, I want a new system. I want a new way. I want more power to, to go back to the people. My concern is that there's, um, for some reason, humans seem to always want to revert back to um, being told what to do and having an establishment dictate how they live their lives. I don't know whether whether that makes sense here. Yeah, it does. I mean, um, have you seen them, that meme, Govern Me Harder, Daddy? Yes, it's great. It's perfect. Like that, yeah, like that meme is really is a picture telling what was it a picture telling a thousand words like it's, um it's it's so true you know it's really unfortunate um because actually i think that people will get if they just allow themselves to kind of become on board with the concept of freedom their lives will be so much more kind of fulfilling uh, you know they will be more fulfilled as an individual but mm -hmm. unfortunately so many people just like you say they want that security and they've it's almost like the, the the government really is their daddy or, or is some kind of maternalistic or paternalistic figure in yeah. their lives. And, yeah. and they just want, that's what they want. They want to just, the governments tell them what to do and, you know, to tell them when to queue up and get the next vaccine and they put on a mask and this is how many people you can hang around with and this is who, what to think. And, you know, it's a shame because not only is it just a, a you know, an, a, a way of living, which is not going to provide any fulfillment, but yeah, I, I guess just you're, you're never going to become self-actualized under that paradigm. That's very true. I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, and the sad reality is, and this is what, again, it shocks me even now, and I don't know whether this, this shocks you too, but in a way, um, those who have complied and been vaccinated, right, and done as they were told, um, are no freer now than they were. They think they may be, but they're just not at all. And I said from the get-go, I mean, I wasn't going to have it anyway. I decided from day one that this is where it was heading and I would, I would never go down that road. I but I also, I also knew that those who did have it would whilst they wouldn't be the focus of the negative attention, i.e. the unjabbed are the ones who are seen as like the pariahs or whatever, right? they still would not be free. And that, again, just spoke volumes to me because I would speak to people who did everything right within the church community, and yet they were still miserable. And I'd think, hang on a second, you've told me you've tapped into something here, like this whole kingdom of God kind of reality, and yet you're not happy. There's no joy you know, there's no fulfillment, like you were saying about what free, true freedom really should bring, absolute liberation and joy, right? And it's actually because they were doing everything that they were told to do, right? But actually it really wasn't making them feel any freer. And I, again, I've seen that as a parallel now. There are people I know who are, um, are already, you know, talking about their fourth in the new year, getting, you know, whatever, um, 
but yet still not really living any freer lives. They're still frightened. They still don't really want to go anywhere. They still can't travel. Um, you know, and sadly though, that doesn't ever seem to push them to a point of thinking, hang on a second. I did as I was told, but it's still not bringing me any freedom. Um, what they do instead is rather than taking responsibility to say, no, this isn't working for me now, they have to find somebody else to blame, which sadly uh, the blame game ends up on those who have chosen to not partake in this particular process. Yeah, yeah. And um, it is very ironic that the people who are most afraid are the people who are now triple vaccinated and the people who are least afraid are the people who haven't had a vaccine. And we're constantly yeah. being told, oh, but, you know, like you're, you know, it's so, so dangerous. And if you catch COVID, this, that and the other. And it's like, OK, well, like I, I would I would happily do it tomorrow. Like I, if someone was like, OK, you've got to catch COVID because I would just, I would actually love the opportunity just to kind of prove like I haven't had it. I mean, I know like a lot of people have had it, but like I, I haven't had it. But um, I was arguing with some guy on Twitter and he was like, oh, well, you know, if you're so unafraid of COVID, why don't you like walk onto a COVID ward in hospital? I dare you. And I was like, give me the opportunity and I'll do it. I would literally yeah. do it tomorrow. Like absolutely no questions asked. Like I would happily do it just to prove that, you know, there, that you, you, it's just such a load of, that. you know, I'm not saying that it's not, um, you're not gonna, gonna get ill or whatever, but just, you know, it's just like, it's like saying, you know, walk down the, the flu ward or, or whatever. It's yeah. just like, yeah, um, you know, there's, there's a virus, you could get it. It's very, very unlikely you're gonna have, um, some kind of serious um, like uh, illness for it, from it, it's very unlikely you're going to be in hospital. It's very unlikely you're going to die. And you yeah. know, the unvaccinated are the, are the least afraid. And it's just, that's very telling of where, we at, where we're at. You know, society is not necessarily divided between kind of the, the vaccinated, uh, you know, who are, you know, protected and they're out and they're living their lives and the unvaccinated who are, who are at home, whatever. It's the unvaccinated who actually are kind of completely unafraid. And also to go back to what you were saying yeah. about who's more free, um, you know, I, in this new paradigm, you know, in this kind of post-COVID world, I think that it's the people who are like me and you, right? Like we're having this conversation now. We would never have had this before. I'm having conversations with people every day. We've all got these great communities, whether it's on Twitter, you know, people are doing meetups in the park, meetups in the pub, whatever it is. What, you know, like we are actually living um, a great life now, you know, even yeah. though our freedoms are being taken away, you know, bit by bit they're being taken away but we have kind of embraced it and gone we're going to make something of this and um yeah. if anything you know my life has been to some degree more fulfilled you know because um right. actually kind of adversity can um actually offer you an opportunity to kind of become more self-actualized and to kind of go deeper into your own personal philosophy and your own spirituality etc which i think that a lot of people have done and i don't see that happening on the other side i just see people still in fear still wearing masks still you know just queuing up for the next vaccine and um you know maybe those people if they actually embraced the, our kind of mindset would find the actualization which they're hoping to get from just following the rules and following orders yeah it, that is it's so true i mean you read stories don't you about nazi germany of people who are in the camps um, you know, saying, you know, before they escaped, they, they felt free because they basically had decided that you can take my body, but you can never take what's inside me. You can never, basically, you can never take who I am and my soul. Um, and it's interesting, because I came to this revelation a couple of weeks back, I thought, I was looking around, you know, around the people, and I thought, you know, how is it that people who have been double jabbed are freer than me? You know, I don't, I don't get how that, that works. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, well, no, actually, 
they're not. They're, they only think they're free because they've done as they were told. Actually, in a way, there's nothing more than a freedom where you have made your own decisions for your own life. And with that, we've got to remember, might come consequences, right? They might come, you know, there might be consequences. I'm hoping that the consequences are, um, you know, really bad. Um, but at the same time, I think that, like you say, there is something about this journey that is bringing people to a deeper understanding of what it means to be human, right? What it means to interact, what it means to learn and understand. And, and really the importance of, um, of this thing we call life. I mean, one of the things that's made me the most sad is how this desperate clinging to our biology, right? Hopefully we get a good 80 years on this earth, maybe more if you're lucky, right? But I look at some of these people who are elderly, who you know maybe don't have that long left in their life, and their desperate need to survive through this fear, they potentially now are not going to live again. That this might be it now. Um, you know, if this goes on for three, four, five years, the last part of their life has been bound to their house, absolutely tormented by fear, um, and yet they've survived. Right? They've survived. They've survived COVID, but at what cost? At what cost have they survived in that they've not lived for the last five years? And, and often people get shocked when I say this. I would certainly be willing to catch COVID and die for the sake that everybody can have their life and live freely because I don't want to see anybody have to live in a position where, live in a position where they um, really are living, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think what you say about that individual, um, like from an individual perspective of, you know, like giving up your life in order to survive, um, is kind of, you can kind of extrapolate that out really onto kind of a collective level whereby, you know, as a society, we're really in a position where we say, do we just get rid of all of our kind of values as a society, you know, just fundamental ideas of freedom, you know, bodily autonomy, you know, the ability to travel, the ability to see your friends and family, you know, doing normal things like, you know, going to parties or whatever it is. Do we just give that all up because, you know, we're afraid of transmitting, you know, a virus to each other? Or do we yeah. accept that that is just a part of life and we actually try to have fulfillment out of life? And, you know, it seems crazy that we've kind of um, made this trade-off, which I just think, like, any nor any rational society would yeah. never make that trade-off just would never make it you know when we um hear about you know things like um people who lived you know not even that distant even not even that far removed from us it was a very common um trope that you know you don't give away your your kind of freedom for safety yeah. and security right like like this was basically the formation of america was on this entire premise right. you know like uh um so, but yeah, we're now living in a world in which people are like, oh yeah, of course you give away your freedom. And you, you hear it all the time, you hear these media pundits and they're like, they're like, what, you think your freedom is um, more important than my safety? And it's like, yes, like categorically, yes, yes it absolutely is. Your safety um, is less important than the freedom of the whole of humanity. Like, I'm sorry to break it to you. And actually your safety is your responsibility. Right. Like it, it, that is something that's on you. So for example, some people would say, yeah, but, um, okay, I might get in a car and I've worn my seatbelt. I've done everything to stay safe. Right. But I get hit by a joyrider and die. Okay. 
So was that somebody else's fault? Yes, right? But did I choose to get in my car and drive on the road? Yes. So if I want to stay safe from joyriders, what is it? It's my responsibility to never get in my car. And this is what I'm noticing more and more. You've just, you've just touched on it there, is that for some reason we've got to a place where we believe it's others' responsibility to change and make me feel a certain way, right? And that whole thing of feelings, I mean, we could talk about for hours, which we won't have time, but um, it's like, you know, you made me feel upset. You made, you made me feel offended. You made me feel unsafe, this, that, and the other. And my issue with that is, okay, maybe they did, right? Maybe they were an ass. Maybe they weren't very nice. But at the end of the day, the only person who can change your reality and how you feel is you. So if you feel unsafe, if you feel worried, you are adult enough to make decisions in your life that that serve that purpose of keeping you safe, but to demand everybody else to conform and change their life to make you feel a certain way, to me is a is a place in Western culture, right? That I think it's a it's a very dangerous premise, and in a way, it's one of the things about the West that I actually don't like anymore. If that makes sense, because we talk about the West, we love the fact that it's a democracy so to speak. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, this whole thing that at school we teach kids that, you know, you should never be offended. No one should ever hurt your feelings. Nobody should this, nobody should that, blah, 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 blah. We're raising a generation of people that believe everything is other people's responsibility um, rather than you making informed decisions for your own life. Um, and we've kind of come full circle because I think, again, that is the whole point of, you know, you're a sovereign being. I think when people understand their own sovereignty and take responsibility for their lives, I think it brings with it a sense of power. So, for example, if I was scared of COVID, yeah, terrified of COVID and thought I was going to die, the sense of power for me would be I'm going to stay in my home and I'm going to keep myself safe. That's where the power lies. Now, we could laugh at that, whereas I would say, I know people, right, who don't support all of these um, measures, who were afraid of COVID, they chose to isolate because they wanted to keep themselves safe. To me, I've got no issue with that. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. They didn't try and blame other people and get other people to change. So I think that within all of this, um, I do think there has to be this swing, and I'm hoping that we are part of that, that evolving conversation. Um, that, like you say, sacrificing the what it means to be human and what it means to be free um, isn't trumped by um, the need to feel safe and secure, because I, I don't think it will end well, and people really won't ever truly live. I completely agree with all of that. Yeah. And, you know, like going back to your kind of driving analogy, it's like if someone came out tomorrow and said, everyone's got to stop driving because, um, you know, I'm afraid of getting hit by a car. So now we've got to ban driving. Everyone would presumably understand that that's a completely crazy uh, concept. But, you know, that's the direction we're going in. I mean, it, I wouldn't put it past society now that if you fast forward 20 years, that someone will make that suggestion and everyone will be okay with it. Because what once you've cross that line where you basically say that your fear, um, you know, in this yeah, yeah. case, it's, it's irrationally so, but even if it's a legitimate fear, um, 
trumps um, people having, you know, fundamental freedoms like being able to congregate, being able to travel, being able to, you know, drive or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you've kind of crossed that paradigm, there's no end to it. You know, um, I, I often use this um, analogy that like, I don't see any difference, and I've yet to have someone kind of point out to me whether there's any difference between saying to people, "You've got to, you've got to give blood, right? You, it's your it's your civic duty to do it, and we're yeah, going to force yeah. you to do it, right? Yeah. Um, because it, we know it will save lives, and forcing people to take this vaccine. As far as I'm concerned, there is no like ethical or philosophical difference between those two things. One is obviously more visceral, right? One is more um, you can kind of. You know, it seems worse to say people got to give blood, but there's no that the logic is exactly the same. We know that if more people give blood, more people will be saved, but we yeah. accept as a society your blood is your own and it was yeah. voluntarily given. Now with this yeah. vaccine, we've we've flipped it the other way. We've said, yeah, it's your body, but you've got to take it to protect others, and it's a complete inversion of every Western value that we've held for you know millennia. It, re- it really is, um, and I think I was brought up always being told my life was not my own. Right. That was like a theme. Your life is not your own. Um, that somehow I was just subordinate and that I had to give and give and give and give. And, you know, it was all about sacrifice and all of this. And I think it's one of the biggest lies, actually, because I think that the greatest gift that man can give is when they are so settled in themselves and they have such a self-love, right, of taking care of their own being. They naturally then give that to others. So, for example the gym that I work at. Um, I work around a lot of what I call COVID bedwetters, you know, who are absolutely like, you know, convinced that we're still all going to die. I never, ever, ever treat them in a way that's disrespectful, rude. Um, you know, like I don't agree with their premise and I'm angry that they've been made to feel that way. Cause I believe that it's unfounded. Um, but I always go out of my way to serve them and offer, you know, if, if they ask me to keep my distance, things like that, I will respect it, things like that. Um, and I think the sad part is if they were to find out, for example, I was jabbed, they wouldn't offer me that same courtesy, right? Um, and I think the only way you can offer courtesy to one another, and this comes back to the collective, is when you are so settled in the choices that you have made you don't need to impose those upon other people because I feel a lot of the, the issue with the jabbed and their belief, because I don't think it's everybody. We've got to be careful. Not all double jab people have this view, right? It's a, it's, it's a group, but it's not everybody. The group that seems to be the noisiest about it, I would say it's because they are categorically unsettled in the decision that they have made and also unsettled in how they feel. Um, and rather than addressing that, they then put that onto somebody else. Um, and, and I think that that, uh, that is something, this whole my life is not my own. No, no, your life is your own, right? You are the master of your being. No one else's. Um, and to suggest that somehow everybody is in control of how you feel and think and, and live your life is just... Um, it's just ludicrous, really. It's just not true. Um, and I think that somehow in all of this, right, this whole process, we have to get people back to that, that premise. And I don't know how it's going to happen. Like conversations like this will make it happen, right? Maybe even if one person was to listen to this and think, oh yeah, like 
I've never really heard it worded like that before. That makes so much sense to me. Um, whatever. I think that we just have to keep speaking out and encouraging people to, um, to become far more um, independent in their thinking and how, and how they perceive life. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you say there. Like, it, it's it's occurred to me as well that it does seem like the people who are pushing the hardest for other to have the jab um, seem. I mean, first of all, they obviously don't trust their own jab because otherwise, why would you be screaming yeah. at everyone else to get it? Like, you're you're protected. Like, you know, enjoy it. Um, but it kind of reminds me, you know, like when um, you, you know, perhaps you know people in your life that are like this as well. That like when someone gets success, like you know. I like to kind of, if someone tells me they've done something that's really successful, like I, I celebrate it in them and I always try to watch uh, these, you know, um, emotions within me that might, that might be there, like jealousy and, you know, like thinking, oh, you know what, that they're, they're, they're kind of overshadowing me and whatever they're doing. I always try to keep those emotions in check. I think everyone has them to a degree, but I always try to be like, no, I'm going to feel really, really positive about this person. You know, if someone's got like a, a great job or whatever, you know, I'm going to be like, yeah, that's really awesome. Like, you know, I'm so happy for you. But there's a certain type of person who you just know they're going to be negative about it. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, but that person, you know, they did that. They only got that job because, you know, their their family knows the person who was hiring or, you know, they managed to go to a good school because their parents were rich or whatever. And it almost yeah. seems like this similar psychology is within the vaccine thing. It's like it's like I've got this vaccine and I'm now, you know, nothing's making sense. But rather than me saying, hey, this doesn't make sense, they're saying, no, I'm going to tell everyone else that they've got to get it because they've got to fe- feel like I do. I want everyone, I want everyone on my level. I want everyone pulled to my, into my reality rather than, you know, questioning my own decisions and my own outlook. Well, right. Cause uh, to pull people into your reality, um, again, gives you a sense of uh, security that your belief is right. Um, you can justify your belief if you pull everybody into that world. Yeah. 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 You have to adapt to the reality of the world and not kind of try to pull the world into your reality. You have to change your ideas and views. And this is, you know, this is kind of what a lot of people, like, un- unfortunately, are not doing. Is that they're not recognizing the reality of what's going on, and they're just digging their heels in deeper. And, you know, it's, it's really not serving anyone, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's very clear that, you know, the unvaccinated are out there living their best life, despite all of the absolute nonsense that you hear, yeah. you know, like, oh, this many in hospitals, are, you know, and we know that these figures are, you know, completely they're either lies or they're fabricated when you actually yeah. like, look into them you know the fact is that this kind of we're we're like a control group that's out there just demonstrating yeah. by our very existence um that people are making really bad decisions queuing up for for you know jab fix yeah. and getting their yeah. getting their, their their kind of like bi-monthly booster and um you know people need to respond to it in the right way and actually say okay i'm gonna st-, you know like I was lied to rather than, you know, that's the right response, not to dig your heels in and say, I want everyone to, everyone to, to it's got to get their, their, their bi-monthly jab now. Totally. And at this point, I would say, because you've raised something very important there. Um, I do actually have, weirdly, and people laugh at me for this because they're like, well, you know, I don't at all, but I have this weird form of compassion for those who are in this particularly this 30% brainwash. Now you could say, how can you have compassion for the people who basically have you shipped off on a train, so to speak, you know, like, um, you know, they, they don't want you here because you are the great unclean. Now, the reason I have compassion for them is because I think deep down, a lot of them know something's wrong and that they've been had. 
I agree. But to acknowledge that now takes so much um, humility and integrity, right? Which a lot of them don't have. I mean, integrity, the word comes from the word to be integrated, right? They're not integrated. They are just, they're, they're segments of just all sorts of nonsense at the minute, right? They're basically, I, to be honest, I, don't, I mean, you might even see this. I don't see those people at the minute. I see them as absolute zombies. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they just seem to be so brainwashed that they can barely even, I see them walking around and they're like machines. And I look and sometimes I just feel so gutted for them because I just think, what has happened to you? Like, you know, the, the famous Lion King quote, you are, you know, Simba, you are more than what you have become, right? I look around and think humans are these most immensely incredible creatures. And yet I look at what these people walking around in mass sanitizing, you know, going about their daily life with very little um, enjoyment, really, and only fear. And that makes me really sad. Um, I'll just tell you a quick story. Uh, um, I'll never forget the time when, when we were kind of deconstructing a lot of what we believe within the, within the context of the church. My dad studied a lot of the original scripture in its Hebrew and Greek because he wanted to understand how certain words had been taken and completely misrepresented with regards to um, biblical teaching, right? So he all of a sudden um, researches the concept of where the word hell came from, right? Which is nothing like you are told, right? This word hell has been completely misunderstood, yeah? Um, and without going into detail, he raised it with quite a lot of people as a congregation, you know, black, white, black. And people were absolutely furious that you were suggesting that this concept of hell might not be a place that you go and burn for the rest of your days, right? And I was just mesmerized because I'm thinking, hang on a second. He's just said that this place that we feared all our lives isn't actually necessarily what we were taught. And it's been completely um, re, re um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's been taken and put in a way that suits a particular agenda, mainly taken by the Greeks, you know, thousands of years ago or whatever. Um, and yet a lot of teaching was based on this word that had been completely misunderstood and taken out of context with what it meant. And people actually left the church because we suggested that hell wasn't a thing. What, what, what is it? Can you, can you go into that a bit? Yeah, yeah, I can actually. So the word that, the, the word that was replaced with hell, right, was this term called Gehenna, right? And when Jesus used the word, word hell uh, in scripture, he was basically referring to a specific place outside of the, 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 the Jewish walls, right? The, um, the city walls. It was the biggest rubbish dump in the city where dogs would eat the food. And you know where it says a gnashing of teeth? No, I'm not too familiar like with the Bible and stuff. But So basically, he said, if you keep living your life the way you are now, your life will look like Gehenna over there. They knew what he was referring to because Gehenna was actually a specific place that they knew. And it was a place that everybody avoided. It was dirty. It was unclean. There was famine. There was dogs eating carcasses. It was a place you did not want to go. So then the Greeks decided to change that word to hell, right? They then said, oh, hell is a place you go when you die. So then from that point on, the church has been teaching, basically, you will 
burning hell, right? But that's not what it actually was written as at all. Yet when we suggested that this word had been made really to create fear as to gain more compliance from the followers, people left. They didn't want to, they didn't want to get rid of it. Now, why am I saying this? I mean, it's been one of the biggest eye-openers for me. You could see in their eyes as my dad would deliver these things, really believing that um, he would deliver this thing. You'd think it would make people feel liberated that so much of what they'd been taught wasn't necessarily true and we could let go of that fear. Instead, the look in their eyes was one of absolute, if I acknowledge that what you're saying is right, that this word doesn't mean that, what other lies have I believed? And rather than at that point saying, this is an awakening for me now, I'm willing to walk this journey and realize that maybe things that I've learned have not been true. What they did was walk away and stay loyal to that, which made them feel safe. And I think we're seeing exactly the same thing with COVID. I think if they acknowledge that COVID has been a lie, they have to ask them what else has been a lie. And I think for some people, that is just a process that they just cannot embark on. Um, I think that, that it just, I think the fear of COVID is better than the fear of the unknown. Um, and you'll know from your journey, I mean, you know, we, we probably walked a very similar path over this last two years, but um, it, it does take some balls to face some of the stuff that we're seeing come out and that uh, you realise uh, nothing's really as it seems, if that makes sense. And you always have to remain open to that. But that can make you feel sometimes quite unnerved in a way. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and I think that like in terms of, it, that it, that process of embracing that uncomfortable truth a lot of people think it's going to be incredibly scary but they actually find out you know in my view most people are going to find out that the other side of that is that you actually can evolve from it right like embracing truth in your life is a process yeah. that you go through and it makes you grow it gets you more kind of spiritually grounded and yeah. when you don't embrace truth and when you hide away from it and you just say no i want to live in my comfortable um you know, kind of lie. And, you know, I'm just going to believe all this has been told. None of it makes sense, but I'm not going to ask any questions because exactly like you say, I don't want to face up to the fact that um, there might be things which um, are, are scary out there because, you know, like COVID in a way, it's a lot less scary um, than the concept that governments and, you know, international kind of um, institutions and, yeah. you know, corporations and, and, and you know, that, that there is a, a kind of, there is a they who are trying to oppress you, that's actually less scary. So people will, sorry, that's actually more scary. More scary, yeah, definitely. So so people will stay with the kind of COVID things. It's like, well, I'll stay in this kind of like, in this slightly more comforting lie um, than embrace a very, very uncomfortable truth. And, um, but yeah, like my experience, and I'm sure it's the same for you and, and a lot of other people, is that when you actually embrace truth and you say, no, I'm going to face the truth and I'm going to, I'm going to, open myself to the truth, whatever that might be, and I will go where that truth takes me. Um, yes, it's a scary path to walk, but it actually is the only path where you can become self-actualized and when you can become spiritually yes. connected. Like, yes. you know, the, the two are packaged together and they are quite kind of inseparable.
Yeah. So one of my favorite books was The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. If anybody, if you haven't read it, it's a, it's a fab read. Um, but I think it's that, uh, like you say, that, that willingness to walk on a road where truth, because again, truth is a funny word. I believe that truth um, is fluid in a way, right? In that you may come to truth one day and it might be like a, a step up, but then three weeks later, you might hear information that makes you question that and you may change your mind and you may then ad adapt and adopt other concepts and thoughts. And, you know, then from then on in a year's time, you might no longer feel that way anymore. You might change your mind again. But to me, that's what it is to evolve as a human being, right? There should never be... Um, this sense again if truth becomes a dogma because again this is where we've got to be careful the science right the truth we can again even with that process cut ourselves off from this absolute I, I use the term smorgasbord that sense of there's so much in life to be taken from and put back and then grabbed and picked up and tasted and tried and you know it, it really is an immense process of being I think that for me, even with this COVID thing, I've been willing all the time throughout this last two years to ask myself, could you be wrong? Like, could you be wrong? And what I do is I take my thoughts to the drawing board and I say to myself, at this moment, I don't feel I am. So I continue to tell the truth with where I'm at. And I'm willing for somebody to come back at me and question that. Um, but at this present moment, I still feel that I'm following the truth in my own self. Um, but again, like I've said, it has to be an evolving, ongoing conversation. We can never allow that to stop. And whilst ever we're doing this, like I've said to you before, um, I do believe that this is the only route to freedom now is by constantly speaking out, uh, being open, encouraging people, um, really inspiring them to walk the journey to freedom and wholeness um, and really let go of their fear um, because that's really the only place to be. And it's the only way that really we can create a fantastic future for both ourselves and future generations in a way. I guess we are on the front line of this war, you could say. JC, that was beautiful. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to uh, add anything to that. That was great. Um, do you just want to let people know um, where to find you? Yeah, sure. So I um, I don't even know my Twitter account. How bad is that? That's... Uh, I am on Twitter. JC Free. JC underscore Free82. Please follow me. Um, and I'd just like to give a shout out to my dad as well, if that's all right. Um, uh, he does uh, loads of fantastic talks. Uh, it's Q Church. Um, you can find him on YouTube. Uh, that's Q Church in York. Um, he does talk a lot about the spiritual journey. Um, he does all, all, also connect it in with what's happened over the last two years and the parallels. So if any of you are interested in kind of like latching on to some of the understanding of what we've got over the last 17 years in our journey as well, you can certainly listen online. Um, but thank you very much for having me. Anyway, it's been absolutely great. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll put a, sh a link to that in the show notes. So uh, make sure you remind me to do that in case I forget. But yeah, thanks again for coming on. It's been a really awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. And I just encourage everyone to continue talking. Let's uh, let's walk this journey together. And hopefully at the end of it, uh, we'll really hit an awakening and come through on top. Eh? Awesome. Cheers. All right. You take care, mate.